Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's March 6, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by the editor-in-chief of the Weekly Standard, Stephen Hayes. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Charlie? Great. Well, I'm in Maui, so how, how bad could it be? We, we, we have to talk about uh, Paul Ryan apparently uh, pushing back on, on the tariffs and the, uh, the reports that there are some negotiations, but we have to start with the Sam Nunberg meltdown on multiple cable shows yesterday. What the hell just happened, Steve? I don't know. Um, I really honestly have no idea. Sam Nunberg was an early advisor to Donald Trump, um, was part of the campaign for or, or what was going to become the campaign for a short time, then was booted off the campaign. And, you know, there were so many contradictions in the interviews that he gave yesterday saying that Trump may have had something to do with Russia. But but other times saying he didn't um, talking about how much he Nunberg doesn't like Trump, but then expressing some warmth for Trump elsewhere. I mean, it was a I mean, as you say, it was a full and complete meltdown. Yeah, I mean, and of course, he's now walked back on it, uh, saying that, of course, he will cooperate with uh, with the special prosecutor. But I just had a couple of takes away as I was watching this, including um, was it was it Aaron Burnett? There's a moment where she's actually asking him, saying, uh, Sam, have you been drinking? Because I have to tell you, I smell alcohol on your breath. I mean, this moment where you realize, oh, my goodness, the guy is basically drunk dialing um, all of these cable stations. Uh, it reminded me of a couple of things. No, number one, how easy it is to exploit cable TV. How, you know, there's, I mean, obviously it's newsworthy. If I was a producer and somebody said, uh, hey, Sam Nunberg wants to come on and say that he's going to rip up the, the subpoena, I'm putting him on. But uh, there is a difference, as Jennifer Rubin points out, between news and, you know, a, the, the freak show. But it also reminded me the number of just strange D-list crackpot self-promoting folks that the Trump attracted to this campaign. I mean, you know, that 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 island of misfit toys yeah. that he assembled early in this campaign. And Sam Nunberg was was kind of a reminder of of, of where this all began. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. And, and you can look at others who have sort of floated through the, the Trump campaign and Trump White House and are and, and have since been kicked to the curb. And it's quite a list. I mean, you've got Omarosa out on um, some reality show now talking about her time in the White House and uh, criticizing what was happening there. You've got Seb Gorka crediting Steve Bannon with uh, defeating ISIS. You've got, I mean, it is sort of one after another after another of these charlatans. Um, you got Roger Stone, Stephen Bannon, Carter Page. Right. You know, what, what, what do they all have in common? No other self-respecting candidate for president ever would have would have surrounded himself with folks like this. Right. And and, you know, I don't I don't know what the lasting implications of the of the Nunberg meltdown will be. As you say, he started um, by making news saying that he just wasn't going to comply with the subpoena from Bob Mueller. And then after having talked about it for several hours over the course of the day, uh, ended up giving an interview to the Associated Press's Jill Colvin, in which he said he would, in fact, likely comply with the subpoena from Bob Mueller. So it was all for nothing. I mean, this is a guy who just went out and sort of blabbed for hours and hours and hours. I think the question, I mean, on the one hand, you're, you're reluctant to take it too seriously if it was just, you know, somebody doing the equivalent of, of drunk dialing um, and... And blabbing, you don't want to pay it too much heat. On the other hand, 
Um, Sam Nunberg is someone who is a longtime admirer of Roger Stone, who believes in sort of confusion operations. Um, and um, in fact, there's there's a, a, a line in the McKay Coppins article uh, in The Atlantic today about this Sam Nunberg meltdown in which he uh, says that Nunberg came to admire Roger Stone after reading Matt Labash's profile of Roger Stone in the Weekly Standard, (laughs) which (laughs) I suppose we deserve some of the blame for that then. But, you know, could there be some angle here? I mean, is is Nunberg going out to try to um, show that people shouldn't be afraid to defy Bob Mueller and to suggest that others uh, could follow in his footsteps. I don't have any yeah. idea. Or or is it possible um, there was one moment in his interview with Katie Turr, I believe, in which she asked a very specific question uh, asking Nunberg if he had received an email at some point over the last 24 hours that suggested he might be subject to uh, a new line of questioning from Bob Mueller and his investigators than the ones he'd been subject to before. And Nunberg sort of hesitated and said, well, you know, did somebody in your ear just give you that question? That's a very mm. good question. And then denied it, of course, and then denied it. Um, you know, th- that, that was a very, very good question because the question, question was what triggered this, whatever, meltdown, drunk dialing, whatever. You know, he had gotten the, the subpoena. Had he been going through the emails? Had he discovered something? Did that trigger it all? And his reaction made me think that, OK, well, she's on to something there. Right. I mean, it was it's hard not to see that and have that reaction. On the other hand, you know, the, the problem here is that we're dealing with just snippets of information. Um, this is, I think, the problem with talking about or trying to understand the, the Mueller investigation more broadly or, you know, use whatever metaphor you like. But I mean, it, it's like trying to t- describe this 5000 piece jigsaw puzzle when we only have 20 or 30 pieces of the puzzle. You can't provide the complete picture. And and it makes it very difficult when you're focusing on just a piece or two to try to to describe something that has any coherence to it or makes sense to the to the listeners. Well, let's go back back to some of the actual real news. Uh, uh, Haley Bird has a piece up in the Weekly Standard. Paul Ryan speaking out against Trump's tariffs. Uh, This is rather extraordinary because this is one of the very, very few times when the speaker um, who is a mutual friend of ours, uh, has been willing to push back re- rather aggressively against um, against the, the tariffs. Uh, give me your, your sense of, of where Ryan is and how far he's willing to go to push back against this uh, the, the steel and aluminum tariffs. I think pretty far. Uh, I, I think this is something that, that sort of offends Paul Ryan as a policy wonk. Um, you know, he, is, he has been a stalwart proponent of free trade uh, for as long as he has known about free trade. And to, to see a Republican president do this, I think, um, is something that was just too much for Paul Ryan to, to sit by and watch happen. I mean, he's, you know, as, as we've discussed before, I mean, Ryan has chosen to approach Trump and both on the, the character side and on the policy side, um, sometimes cautiously, not terribly aggressively. He'll speak out after an incident like Charlottesville or comments like Charlottesville, um, and then he won't speak out at other times. And on the policy side, you know, I think he's been um, sort of holding back on entitlement reform because this was Paul Ryan's. I would say, major issue over the last decade. And Donald Trump simply doesn't believe that entitlements need to be reformed or ought to be reformed. Um, and I think Ryan has 
tried to make a behind-the-scenes argument to Trump's advisors rather than get in a public confrontation with Trump to effect change on that. But as you point out, in this case, he is willing, it looks like, to engage in a full frontal battle with Trump on trade. And I think, Ryan's it's a pretty easy step for Ryan to take, to be honest, because I think, you know, the kinds of tariffs that the president proposed, if we can call it a proposal, um, are absurd. I mean, you don't have universal tariffs on steel and aluminum and, and expect that you aren't going to have pretty significant economic uh, and, and a pretty significant economic impact. I think Ryan has an obligation to, to fight that and to fight it hard. Okay, so the report we're getting this morning is that the uh, congressional leaders are negotiating with Trump on narrowing the the tariff plan. Uh, but of course, this would require a rather public, embarrassing back down, walk back by the Trump administration. Donald Trump has not been one uh, who has been willing to to do that sort of thing. Uh, what do you think the prospects are? I mean, th- this is I mean, this is uh, obviously not a done deal, even though. Even though the president rolled this out and made it sound like he had decided to do a slap on this 25 percent tariff, uh, there are negotiating. So what are are the prospects that in the next few days he's going to back off or maybe exempt uh, Mexico and uh, Canada? Yeah, Jonathan Carl of ABC News asked yesterday uh, if the president was inclined to back off because of the criticism from Paul Ryan and others. And the president said, of course, no, I'm not going to back off. I think what, what we're likely to hear from the White House is this was the president's opening negotiating position. Of course, he's willing to make some adjustments. And you, Steve Mnuchin, uh, the president's uh, secretary of the Treasury, was up on Capitol Hill today directly yeah. contradicting what the president had said on Friday. Mnuchin said, you know, we're not looking to start trade wars. The president had said on Friday, you know, trade wars are good and we can win them easily. So you're already beginning to see, I think, the the, the first steps of a kind of climb down. But at the same time, if, if Donald Trump believes in anything um, over his long career as a politician and a businessman, it's trade and protectionism. I mean, he, he has made this argument pretty consistently going back into the 80s. I mean, this is something the guy believes in. He thinks American industries need to be protected. And he thinks uh, our trading partners are always screwing us over. And he looks at trade as a zero-sum proposition, which I think it's not. And most economists believe it's not. So, so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, he, if he comes down, climbs down a little bit. The alternative, of course, is that Congress can act. the 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 authority to, you know given to the president uh, is based on congressional law. You know, in part that 1962 law. Right. So the question would be, if the president doesn't back down, would Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan be willing to act legislatively to restore the the Article One powers of, uh, of of the Congress. I mean that that that's an extreme step because that would require them to pass legislation, which would face a veto, and then there would be a veto override. And any chance that that would actually happen? I'm very skeptical that that would yeah. happen going into the 2018 midterms. I mean, Republicans in Congress think that they have something to run on right now, and that's tax reform. Um, it's it 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 is no doubt a uh, better political argument than. Um, most people suspected when Republicans were pushing to reform tax reform. I mean, the mainstream media and Democrats trashed these tax reforms as if they were sort of meaningless and and because they were unpopular at the time they were passed would be unpopular Mm -hmm. forever. Uh, I think it's a, they've got a pretty good argument on tax reform. They want to just make that argument. I don't think they want to complicate it by having a public 
confrontation with a Republican president on matters of trade going into these elections. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that, but that's also why you can get the sense that Paul Ryan's head is exploding because uh, you, you had that narrative of the economy that was growing all of the optimism, uh, the success of the tax cuts and putting money back into people's pockets, and now the, the script has been flipped to so we're talking about this, uh, you know, the tariff, which the mainstream media interestingly enough, is describing as a tax on consumers. It is interesting how they woke it up and realized the, the dangers of protectionism. Uh, I, I'm actually quoted in a, a piece I just was reading right before we, we came on. I'm kind of wincing about some of the, the things that I uh, said in the New York Times profile of, of, of Paul Ryan, uh, my disappointment with the extent to which he has been willing to enable the administration. And I hope that when people read that, they get the sense of, of sort of how heartbroken I have been by by watching his acquiescence. But it, it was heartening to see Paul Ryan basically finding his voice again on this issue of uh, tariffs and, and protectionism. Uh, I want to uh, ask you, uh, Stephen, about a couple of things, including uh, the uh, you know the the news out of North Korea this morning, and also um, the um, the announcement about uh, Ru- Russian sanctions. But before that, uh, you know, when it comes to your health, brushing your teeth is one of the most important parts of your day, and Quip knows that. That's why they've combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. This is the new electric tooth- toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. And if you travel as much as I do, just having an electric toothbrush that you can bring with you as opposed to the big honking one that I have at home is really is really an upgrade. Um, because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip's subscription plan, I'm going to tell you about that in a moment, refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule. They deliver new brush heads every three months for just five bucks. That's five bucks. That includes free shipping worldwide, and it's backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. Find out for yourself why. And, and here's the, the offer. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash standard. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash standard. Great deal. Okay, um, news out of North Korea today. The North Koreans saying, hey, we will suspend all of our missile testing um, while we are negotiating. What's your reaction? Is this a significant development? I mean, it's a welcome development. I don't think it's likely to prove a significant development in the long term. Um, North Koreans have, for the past 25 years, made promises about uh, their nuclear program, and they've followed through on virtually none of them, at least for the long term. If you look back at the history of U.S.-North Korea negotiations or discussions or threats um, over that time period, it's a history of the North Koreans making promises and then failing to deliver on them. You can go back to 1994 when North Korea uh, agreed to freeze their nukes, basically all of their operations, and denuclearize the peninsula and didn't do it, 2005, 2007, 2012. It was almost, uh, if you look back at 2012, six years ago, this past week, 
the North Koreans under new leader Kim Jong Un made a series of promises. Um, it's almost a pattern. Suspend their yeah, willing to yeah. suspend their their testing and and uh, nuclear operations. And you had front page stories in the New York Times and elsewhere about you know promising moment uh, with the North. Maybe they're really willing this time. <laughs> I don't think they are. Uh, I don't think that's part of it. I think they're looking to buy more time. I think they're looking to increase uh, Kim Jong Un's stature by putting him in, in uh, you know, at the table with um, Donald Trump and with the United States, and that they will consider that a win. Um, I'd love to be wrong, obviously, but history suggests that this is headed in one direction, and it's not a good one. Yeah, I, I, this, this this is really Lucy with the football. So I, I I would call bullshit on this as well. So this morning, uh, Stephen Mnuchin said that uh, in the next few uh, was it the next few weeks, next few months, they fought, the Trump administration will get around to imposing those Russia sanctions. So what's changed? What's taken so long? I don't know. I mean, it was an interesting uh, moment with Steve Mnuchin making this suggestion because just a, a few weeks ago, the Trump administration folks were uh, telling reporters that there was no need to do this, that this wasn't th- that that uh, it would be counterproductive even in some cases to, to step up these sanctions, despite the eagerness in Congress to do this. Um, you know, the president's taken quite a bit of criticism for his unwillingness to criticize Vladimir Putin. Um, and, uh, you know, the White House will defend the president and say, well, we've tightened, you know, we've, we've gone after Putin in certain ways, certain policy ways um, that the Obama administration never did. We've been tougher. You, heard, you remember the president tweeted that he'd been tougher on Putin than, mm-hmm. than Barack Obama. Um, but rhetorically, he hasn't been. And we know what it looks like when the president's frustrated with somebody or doesn't like them or is skeptical of them. And the president's been far tougher on people like Alec Baldwin than he has on people like Vladimir Putin. So I don't know if it's um, the, the cumulative effect of the criticism uh, on the president's unwillingness to do this, if he's uh, seen new intelligence about what Putin's intentions are with respect to the West and, and expanding Russia's influence, or if it's the fact that Putin uh, has been giving these uh, very aggressive and I would say provocative speeches in Russia in the run-up to the Russian elections uh, later this month. Um, you know, he's he's been poking the finger in the eye of the United States pretty aggressively and maybe... Uh, it's the case that Donald Trump doesn't want to be uh, doesn't want to be mocked in that way. How how big a deal is this special election in terms of momentum in the off year election? You got any sense of the tea leaves? What's going on in Pennsylvania? I don't. We had a great piece by our yeah. Haley Bird, um, sort of laying out where um, the two candidates were and taking a particular look at Connor Lamb, the Democrat, who is running in some ways as a very traditional Democrat. Um, he's he's not in favor of the twenty week uh, post twenty week abortion ban, for instance. But in other ways, uh, he's not running. He's running as sort of a, a, a blue collar Donald Trump Democrat, uh, agreeing with the president more or less on on some of the trade policies, um, not sounding uh, like many Democrats on issues of guns, for instance. And uh, I think the, the polling suggests that it's likely to be a pretty tight race until the very end. 
yeah, this is a district that uh, Donald Trump won by a very, very substantial margin. So um, it would uh, would certainly add to some of the momentum um, if the Republicans can pull it out. Obviously, they'd breathe a sigh of relief. Do you think there's any connection between uh, the tariff announcement in this particular election? Because this is this is one of the areas of the country where tariffs might be popular. And there was some speculation that uh, Trump had this particular special election in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's possible. Um, if he was hoping to separate um, Rick Saccone from Connor Lamb, it didn't happen. Um, I think the the fact that they both have have taken you know more or less Trumpy positions on on this in a district that's um, you know a Western Pennsylvania district shouldn't shouldn't be terribly surprising. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. We will be back. We'll do this all over again tomorrow. I'm Charlie Sykes.